Welcome to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Roger. I speak to people in the software development community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. I'm the CEO of VoxGig, a software consultancy that builds DevRel tools. Because we believe in the power of community, we host a monthly virtual online meetup for everyone in developer relations. Check out devrelmeetup.com. And visit voxgig.com to view our work, use our tools, and sign up for our newsletter. Okay, please sit back and enjoy my fireside chat with today's guest. The world of developer relations is bigger than you think. Today, we're talking about enterprise developer relations, and specifically enterprise APIs. I'm speaking to James Higginbotham, the founder of Launch Any, who talks about his experiences helping very large companies understand how to manage all of their APIs. If you're looking for your next developer relations role, it's time to think about internal developer relations as an untapped space to look for new opportunities. All right, let's talk to James. James, welcome. It's great to have you on today at the Fireside with VoxGig podcast, talking about the future of APIs. Um, you are living in Colorado, a place I've never been. Uh, it looks so beautiful. I really want to go there. Is it snowing? Uh, it did yesterday, as a matter of fact. Okay. And I live in the mountains at higher elevations. Oh, so, in, uh, yeah, so I'm at about uh, 8,800 feet in elevation. So there's snow on the ground awesome. until awesome. about May. Yeah, I've flown over a few times, of course, looking down going, man, I got to visit. But uh, yeah, hey, let's go build some APIs together. I'll come over. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I was going to say, uh, I was going to ask you what you do. Yeah. Um, so I own a business called Launch Any. I'm an API consultant, which is not a title you probably bump in that often, but it's something I've been doing for nearly a decade now, focused heavily on the API space. I come from a developer enterprise architecture background. And so I've, I've moved over to APIs. I help organizations of all sizes, primarily enterprises, but also late stage startups and some early stage startups to establish, grow and mature their API programs. So that means processes, um, practices, patterns, you know, putting all those things in place. I do a lot of training for those organizations, how to design APIs, how to establish a program, and uh, even help with API fundamentals. So helping product leaders that are maybe wake up one day and all of a sudden the organization has said, guess what? You own some APIs as a result of some reorganization, or we're going to move you to this new team. And Maybe it's a web app, a mobile app, and it has APIs with it, or maybe it's strictly an, a set of APIs for a partner integration or, or something else. So I work with a lot of organizations to do that. I've been doing that for quite a while and worked with a lot of organizations around the world doing that. It's been, been a blast. What I find fascinating is the scale that you're talking about. So mm -hmm. there is uh, there's this world that is a magnitude bigger than a lot of devs and a lot of people in developer relations are used to, uh, you know, a lot of people do developer advocacy roles for maybe it's even a series A startup, right? And hey, maybe they've got 20 or 30 endpoints. They think they've got a big API, right? Oh, okay, right. they might have pretty heavy loads, but the world we're talking about here is one where there is no homogenous data model. There is no there wasn't a, a brilliant CTO that kind of provided a guiding light, a vision that kept everything coherent. Um, this is a world where there are APIs 
from different technologies, different acquisitions, different eras, owned by different groups, DevOps, or the developers themselves, or their zombie APIs, right? I think you mentioned that in one of your articles where mm -hmm. it's running, but nobody knows how or what server, <laughs> but it's right. it's essential to the business. <laughs> Uh, or the APIs, uh, I remember from one, one of my former clients, are backed by uh, a mainframe where the code is, it's not even COBOL, it was written in BASIC, right? Mm -hmm. So, cool, we're, you know, we have uh, Node.js API-based front-end, it's all, you know, the latest modern stuff, but there's only so much you can do because you're backing onto some technology that's been running for 30 or 40 years. Um yeah, just talk about the scale of uh, of the engagements that you have, because I just want to give our listeners a sense of what's out there, right? If you've never worked with things at this level. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as I said, I have worked with, and I have a background in, in launching startups as well. I've been kind of interim CTO for startups early stage, uh, you know, yeah. privately funded uh, startups, those kinds of things. So I get the 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 startup scale and the challenges there. Uh, and there's definitely a lot to be said for the bootstrapping. But uh, I also have a background in enterprise IT, working with enterprise architects and teams in an enterprise. So to paint that picture where I primarily consult in the API space, uh, imagine organizations that have uh, thousands of developers. Uh, I have one client that has 10,000 plus developers. That means the number of scrum teams you have could be anywhere between hundreds to thousands. In the case of the large one I was talking about, they have about 2,500 scrum teams. And every one of those teams could potentially be uh, needing to, to design and deliver an API. Maybe it's powering a user experience through web and mobile apps. Maybe it's integrations between systems. As you said, maybe it's wrapping a mainframe. Uh, this client has multiple mainframes. They've been doing it, using them for years. They deliver loads of value to the organization. You're not just going to turn them off because they're out of fashion and it's not Node and it's not Rust and it's not yeah. you know Erlang or or something else that that's sure. the Elixir and things like that that are the the new hot technologies. They deliver value. You can't shut them off. So we have lots of teams. Those teams span lots of different areas. So it's not just one product team delivering one set of APIs with a dozen or two dozen endpoints or API operations, however you, 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 know, you might think about it or, or put uh, terminology to it. Uh, you're talking about groups that focus in on perhaps uh, revolving credit card lines or checking and savings accounts, or maybe in the insurance industry, they deal with claims. You have a policy uh, you've had an accident, something's occurred, you need to make a claim to your insurance company to, to be made whole again, to have repairs done. And, and within that space, let's say claims, there's first notification of loss. How do we gather the information necessary to make sure that it meets your policy requirements? How did the underwriter uh, determine the coverage amount and, and qualifications? That whole workflow. So we're talking about loads of complexity beyond just delivering a single API product that, you know, may generate millions uh, of transactions in a, a day, a month, a year, we're talking about coordination of people. And so how do we coordinate those people and ensure that we can scale the API organization? How do we ensure that APIs can be found and discovered? 
within your area of expertise, within that domain area or line of business, or perhaps across, because you're building a solution that requires you to integrate across APIs that span lines of business or span product lines. Uh, it's it's very, very complex. And so it's a whole yeah. new nuance to developer relations and thinking about APIs in general. James, it sounds like, I mean, these these organizations should be aggressively doing internal developer relations, right? I mean, they should have significant develop, developer relations teams just inwardly focused. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> Most don't. Yeah. Um, and and wow. that's where... That's yeah. where a lot of times I'm brought in. It it doesn't, it they don't come to me and say, I need someone to help me with developer relations. They actually come to me and say, our API program is not working, or we're trying to scale it and we're struggling, or you know, we have APIs, but we we don't even have an updated catalog. How do we take an inventory of them? How do we figure things out? Or how do we help create some consistency across them? Not to be so rigid that you can't be creative, but how do we have some consistency so that the error handling or the error messages come back are the same, authorization is unified. And these kind of organizations, they've procured a lot of different solutions and some might be using you know, a, a, a solution that helps with authorization and, and we can use things like OAuth 2 and other types of things. Other times they're not secured at all. And you know, they just kind of emerged out of, out of uh, necessity. And so then we have to look at what does that really mean to the organization and how do we kind of line things up? How do we prevent this company from being in the headlines saying, oh, we've had a breach and it's because of an API? Yeah. Or, you know, how do we just kind of put some form and function of what we're doing so that we don't build the 25th API that returns account details? You know, oh, because everybody talking, needs one and everybody builds one. Are we talking about, I mean, we're talking about CIO level people or... or Mm -hmm. technically adjacent leadership that is but they don't even have the vocabulary to call it developer relations they don't, they Correct, don't even know yeah. what they don't need they, they don't they don't know what they need right right yeah so in the SaaS world we call it developer relations particularly in those companies that are are delivering an api to developers and then trying to sell to developers we put the term developer relations on it what we see in the enterprise is completely different. It's it's an API program. It's an API center for excellence. It's or or center for enablement. The terminology is different because governance, the focus right? of the CIO is different. Yeah, yeah, it, it becomes governance, and and people will kind of, you know, have some sort of terrible reaction to it. They'll start getting, you know, hives and start scratching because they're just, <laughs> you know, they might have a history of that. Um, those that have been around for a while remember service oriented architecture, right? Governance was huge in those days. You know, it was imperative that we govern everything and it got very heavy handed. What we're talking about here is a lighter weight governance, something that's a little bit more practical and able to scale, but still it falls under that terminology for the office of the CIO to start yeah. thinking about what it looks like and, and searching for help in that area. Gotcha. I've been invited uh, to, not on, a, not on a regular basis, but occasionally I get invited to internal conferences and mm -hmm. I remember doing one for uh, the uh, UK pensions board. who have hundreds of developers, right? And it was an internal day on microservices. Um, and it, it was kind of weird because I, I you know, I, I've been more used to the, 
I suppose the popular conferences, open source conferences, that type, you know, the ones that QCon, the ones you'd see on YouTube or whatever, on all over Twitter, whereas this was, this was just completely internal, just people from that organization. Uh, and that's a whole world as well, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, we don't realize how much of that is going on. It is. And uh, yeah, I've been invited to quite a few as well. And uh, it might be because I'm engaging with the organization or it might be that they just want me to yeah, speak at a conference and, and maybe they've seen a talk or a article or read my book or something and said, you know, we're struggling with those similar things. Can you talk a little bit to it? And it's the organization's way to deliver education at scale, to get uh, a, a core, unified, aligned understanding. Um, there's not that many times in the year when you think about your day-to-day -day where you get a chance to hear from either industry experts, your executive teams, uh, maybe two or three skip level leaders, you know, so maybe a VP or, or someone or uh, a, a, a CXO in a particular business unit, if that's the way they're organized, you don't hear from them all the time. Maybe they send an email, you read it, you go, hey, that's yeah. great. And then you move on, you get back to your day-to-day. But to actually have immersive focused events like that, where they'll usually do hands-on activities as well. So I've done things where I've lectured on an API design process, and then they get to do a little bit of it hands-on to experience it, or they get to experiment with a new um, internal developer portal and get to unleash that onto the organization and get everybody aligned and talk to them at the same time and communicate and share, here's our vision and here's how we're gonna execute and enable you day to day. Uh, there's a lot of that going on, yeah. and and but sometimes then, it's, that's it's a the... lot easier and cheaper than than taking sending somebody to a conference to because sure. it allows people to to kind of deal with even, their peers at the same time. Even then, I feel it's probably the minority of organizations, right? <laughs> that uh, put in that effort. Yeah, the larger the organization, the more you're going to find that. Yeah. So I've seen it in in different industries: automotive, insurance, uh, banking. A different different industries do this. But it's usually because of their scale and, yeah. and the need to, to rally teams together all at once and have kind of a bigger event that gets people excited, shows something new, or helps to you know ingrain that vision and show them something uh, tangible or what's kind of more esoteric or strategic and it may not impact you day to day. Then you start to see how it works day to day. Yeah. So that's where they use it. We were we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about uh, API solution providers, um, mm -hmm. and that is uh, you pointed out something. So I, I was I was going to say, well, you know, how, how would you decide which one to use? And you were like, <laughs> you were like, well, hold on a sec, uh, you know, my clients probably already have five, so it's yes, <laughs> it's what do we do with all of these Absolutely. things we've already chosen? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the utility of these solutions? I mean, should should that be, should if there's five in an organization, should it be converged down to one? Should should that be a high priority effort? Or does it really matter? Um, where do they fit into uh, solving these problems? Yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's a big challenge. It, the, the reason that, that I said, well, it's no, which ones do you have is yeah. the question, not which ones should you buy? I love it. Procurement of these solutions oftentimes happen, you know, the sales engagements of these vendors, they don't always get a chance to go in front of a CIO and pitch their product and get uniform acceptance of it. It usually starts somewhere in the middle. Someone who is at a 
has a title, a role, and a level of responsibility that allows them to engage procurement to a certain amount. Yeah, Yeah, they have a budget, and they probably have a limit to that budget, so they're buying that solution in some way. Organizations that don't have any kind of um, unified API program, as I would call it, you know, just something that sort of there's an office, API office, an API guild, uh, an API C4E, a Center for Enablement, or center of excellence there's not a there's not someone that you can go do a search on a wiki find that contact or start asking people find that contact and go ask them what you need. a lot of them will have procured multiple vendors uh these vendors are essential i would not want to be one of these organizations that builds their own api gateway and has to implement their own security huh. and and you know it <laughs> yeah. just there, there's, the horror. <laughs> the, it is. Now, I do have yeah. one vendor or one client that did that. They looked at all the vendors. They even bought one. It didn't work. This was in the early days. So let's say 2013 to 2015 when APIs were starting to become something that people thought of separate from just standard IT disciplines. And they couldn't find anything they wanted. And they ended up building their own. What has happened to them over time is they've fallen behind. Of course. They haven't adapted to HTTP2, and then they finally get HTTP2, and they haven't adapted, you know, so therefore they couldn't proxy and manage and secure gRPC, or they didn't, uh, you know, jump on to the latest and greatest, or they, uh, you know, and, and there's times when we don't want to jump headlong into something brand new while, you know, not having time to vet it and understand it, and monitor it and observe it in, you know, in, in smaller areas. But uh, now they have a team that's trying to play catch up for years. But the flip side of that is they own the entire deployment pipeline and their gateway and other solutions support that. So there, there's a, you know, a level of, of trade-off. But most organizations, they've adopted a cloud vendor's API gateway, a cloud vendor's web application firewall, and some combination of those things. And they exist. And uh, others have tools from vendors that do a lot more integration and maybe have ESBs and they happen to have a gateway. And so they grab that. So there's, there's different combinations, uh, but, but there's definitely a place for those tools and, yeah. and uh, not reinventing things or having to own that yourself if there's no reason. Getting into the weeds a little bit. Um, so there's one, <laughs> there's one little thing that I've, I've, uh, I've, I've been searching for, maybe maybe you're aware of, you know, I mean, you have to name people or whatever, maybe you're aware of it as a thing, which is outbound API management. So this mm-hmm. is where you have applications. Uh, I, I was recently working on a project where we had, uh, it, was, it was a B2C app, but it had 15 different external APIs. Um, now, interestingly enough, they all went through an encryption provider who happened to provide logging and uh, telemetry and all that sort of stuff. And we ended up using the encryption providers. Uh, they had lovely little charts, which they were just eye candy. They weren't meant to be serious you know, systems tools or anything. They ended up being super useful for debugging and just general observability. Uh, so after that project, I thought, oh man, there's got to be, there's got to be some really nice products around this, but it's not obvious. Um, I, I know I'm getting into the weeds, right? But it... yeah, no, I've, I've I've bumped into this a little bit. Um, 
one one thing that happens when we talked about scale earlier. Yeah. One thing that happens is what happens when one development team wants to use, I don't know, SendGrid or you know something like that to send an email or to do campaign management or yeah. whatever it is you might need to do. And then another team somewhere else in the organization needs to do that. And pretty soon SendGrid is, or that whatever that vendor is, they have all these relationships with teams, not with the organization. And, and how do you manage procurement and get that through the process? All of a sudden the procurement team looks at it and says, well, wait a second, we already have a relationship with this vendor. Why aren't you already using it? Oh, well, we bought, you know, X subscription level that handles our needs, but you know, we weren't looking at platinum level SLA services with, you know, millions or billions of API operations per year. We were looking at sending 10,000, you know, making 10,000 API calls or transactional calls. So the enterprises are using API gateways in reverse to consolidate that. So procurement's responsible for establishing the relationship between the API provider that's external and the enterprise. They make that available and then they generate keys, uh, API keys, tokens, you know, generate those access tokens and so on and make them available and put them behind the API gateway. And then they proxy every call to that third party. Yeah. So a development team could start using that API. They don't use the API endpoint of the vendor. They use an internal provided a an API endpoint. And now we have tokens assigned to the team that allows us to know how much usage is this team versus that team using this vendor, but we have one procured negotiated contract for a higher volume. I see that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and then that, that helps a lot to manage costs, to manage and speed adoption of APIs, to unify on third parties, but not, they don't normally abstract that out and say, well, we're going to create an email API and it's our enterprise email API. And then behind the scenes, they do all the translation and transform it into that third party vendor. Yeah. They'll usually just make it transparent. So use these docs, but change the host name to this so that you're talking internally and you're going to just like any other API in the organization you want to consume, you're going to go to our developer portal. You're going to provision a token for, you know, a key for this API, and you're going to use our host name and we'll do all the proxying. And in the, in the meantime, they get observability, they get logging, they can look to see, is there NPI data being shared that shouldn't be, they can start setting up rules for that because now they're kind of acting as a, a middleware. Yeah. And, and owning that that element of the governance and the security monitoring and management, which is sometimes required for in certain industries for regulatory purposes. So they do have to do it anyway. It allows them to, to get in the middle of So I guess chain. it's a feature of, of the larger scale solution providers. Um, I'm surprised nobody does it as a standalone product. Um, uh, I, what I've seen is most of the time, any standalone products that are built, they can just get, they'll get stepped on by the, the gateway providers, yeah. API management yeah. layers, yeah. because it's really just proxying in reverse. And if, if you already have the internal skill set to proxy inbound, you can proxy the outbound just as easy. Uh, and, and so it, it doesn't merit its own, or to date at least, there hasn't been enough differentiation to merit its own uh, uh, product segment. Uh, in, Interesting, in because it, it hurts the mid-market, because there's no, does. There's no effective, cost-effective solution for the mid-market. Uh, it does. Yeah, you're 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 dependent upon either 
taking a, a an open source or affordable gateway or API management solution and leveraging that if they if they have that support and there are some that are out there that do that, uh, or they end up rolling their own. They take yeah. Nginx or something else. They write some Lewis scripts and they I they kind of get I, what yeah. they need done. And it's it's yeah. it's kind of scary, but I guess sometimes it works uh, as long as they're being able to observe and secure the things that they need to do. Yeah, interesting. Sorry, that was kind of a kind of a side discussion, but it did give me it does give me a chance to segue a little bit into another question, which is. Um, what are all the gaps that you see in the current approaches, right? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about feature gaps in vendors. I'm talking about uh, the way the whole industry is approaching this thing, right? Yeah. So you, you know, you, you're thinking about the future of APIs. Uh, you know, we're we're January twenty fifth, twenty twenty four. In twelve months time, what would you like to see, right? What, what gaps can we close <laughs> this year, right? <laughs> Yeah, it, well, there's there's quite a few actually that I, I covered in my article. Um, you know, I can focus on a few of them. One is is um, scaling the education and support of APIs in organizations. If you are a SaaS vendor that is API centric or an API as a service API product, however you think of yourself then your whole organization centered around that. So all your processes and everything else center around that. And so it's just a matter of getting better and optimizing those areas. When you're an enterprise, APIs are not your core business. Exactly. Your core business is a combination of your business capabilities, what you're bringing to the market, your services, your product, and your IT capabilities. What is it that you're fluent in? What technologies, what data, what infrastructure are you Kubernetes? Are you whatever? You know all of those skills, and in the middle is where the value happens. If we are designing APIs centered on data sources based on our AIT skills, and we're leveraging Node, we're leveraging whatever it is that yeah. we have. Great, you're delivering data, but are you delivering outcomes? So in the enterprise. What we like to say is uh, APIs are the digital front door to your organization. They tell the marketplace who you are and what you do. Just like your website tells people what services you offer, what products you offer. That requires a shift of mentality that is way different than what your strategy and approach to APIs would be in a software as a service, let's say. Um, the, the scale of getting everyone equipped, taking an agile approach that you're using, whether you're using Scrum, whether you're using Safe, which is Scrum at scale, basically, yeah. whatever it is you're doing, and taking those job roles that are in there and starting to get people to think about APIs. So what would I like to see? I would love to see organizations have a formal API training process that doesn't just include developers doesn't just include the HTTP details of an API. That's important. We deal with that. But that's the machine-to-machine -machine side of things. It's that human-to-human -human aspect. Do we understand what people are trying to do? Do we understand their outcomes? And are we delivering APIs that help people get there? And that requires kind of having a, a, a more digital product mindset 
not necessarily because you're delivering an API as a product that you're going to resell 30,000 times over, but rather you're thinking about the humans, the people, you have empathy for the people that are doing things. These could be the developers using the API or it could be mm. also empathy for the end users that are going to be benefiting from the API, even if it's via a web or mobile app. Or and so a lot of what I have seen work to do that is implementing API coaching, training and, and preparing people that just have a passion for APIs to be within their part of the organization. They're in the claims management space. They're in the uh, savings and checking account space. They're in the revolving credit card space, the home loan space, the car auto loan space, whatever it is that have a passion for APIs that want to start to help own and support and nurture and communicate and evangelize APIs. That's what developer relations looks like inside of a large scale organization. And a lot of times APIs are still seen as that technology solution. Oh, that's what the developers deal with. Oh, that's what IT deals with. We're a business. We don't need that. You do. You need to start understanding. You don't necessarily need to fire up an API client, make an HTTP request, and understand what JSON came back. Maybe. That's great if you can. Yeah. But even if you don't, if you can just have that communication, that dialogue with developers, just like you would do with a user experience expert. You know, we have UX experts in organizations a lot now. Well, I seem a lot more than I used to. And they're doing screen mockups, but they're thinking about flow and optimization and workflows. Why don't we have that for APIs? So that's yeah. a lot of what I do and what we need to be able to scale APIs in the organization. So they become first-class citizens in the org, not that's what the developers deal with. That's pretty inspiring. <laughs> that is pretty, that's pretty inspiring. Uh, wow. Yeah, let's get there. Let's get there. One final <laughs> yeah. question. One final question. Eddie, and okay. you probably knew this one was coming, right? Machine learning. Yes. What's that going to do to us? What I mean, it's so hard to tell. There's so much stuff going on. Uh, do you have any feelings? I won't hold you to any predictions, but do you have any feelings about <laughs> what it means? Yeah. <laughs> For those of us working in this space. <laughs> I think what it means is I'm hopeful. It, it means that we get to stop doing boilerplate API consumption code. And having to design every little element of our API, and we can focus on value. Um, what I see so far, at least based on the state of all of the tools and, and the research and, and you know, things that have been done so far, is that we as a development organization, whatever, you know, wherever the, you are, whatever kind of business you are, it's going to allow you to focus on people because you'll spend less time focusing on the mundane elements of the code. Yeah. But it does also mean that we're going to be stewarding these APIs and stewarding these applications. So we have to have the mindset of what is this solution? What is this need? What are the steps to get there? And what are the outcomes? And I might be a little biased because my book covers that. I'm from an API design perspective. I call it ADDR, align, define, design, and refine. Kind of four phases you go through to go from requirements to an API design that developers will love and that solves people's problems, delivers value. It looks at things from a workflow perspective, from an outcome perspective, 
Uh, for developers that are familiar with acceptance tests, think of it like, how do I define my acceptance tests up front and then build the API to support every step along the way from problem to solution state or reaching a, a, a resolved state of some sort, getting to that outcome. And AI is going to help us kind of take some of the, the mundane stuff, the boilerplate stuff out, but we still have to be here as humans because ultimately we're building software for humans. APIs talk machine to machine, like I said before, but we still have that human to human and developer to developer communication aspect. So we're gonna be there to guide and steward the process. We're gonna be the ones that are ultimately the advocates for our end users and for our developers that are gonna be leveraging these APIs directly or indirectly. And AI is gonna allow us to get there faster, I think. And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what that turns into. So we'll be building, we'll be architecting, we'll be solutioning uh, while AI helps to get some of those core fundamental elements out and get things done much quicker. And it's gonna really give us an opportunity to get faster feedback, um, you know, faster deliverables, uh, so that we can get get that refinement stage done that's in APR. Yeah, yeah. it's exciting. Uh, you know, it's exciting. thinking about how to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see what what lots of different people are going to come up with. I um, I think we can't even predict it. I think there's going to be some fun stuff. Uh, Definitely, we we didn't even know about. James, thank you so much. Uh, fantastic and a really really great insight into um, a huge area of developer relations. That's sort of a yeah secret developer relations, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it is. Uh... I'm glad uh, to have this opportunity. I appreciate it to be able to kind of yeah. surface some of what I've been seeing over the last decade or so. Some of the challenges that scale that not everybody gets to to hear about. Yeah, but, it offers right. hope as well. I think because there have been there's obviously been a few high profile layoffs, uh, especially last mm -hmm. year, and a lot of people in developer relations are feeling a little nervous, right? Because developer relations in a startup in the startup world falls under marketing, which gets cut quick right if you don't get your funding but it sounds like there's just a fundamental need for as apis grow become ever more present there's just a fundamental need for a lot of a lot of internal developer relations effort and that universe oh boy it might be a little bit bigger than people realize right uh, it is it is i i think uh, i i hope that you know, people listening to this, if they are one of those caught up in those unfortunate situations that's been happening lately, uh, you may not want to look for developer relations in that job title. There might be some different exactly. job titles out there and, and they're different. I'll tell you, there's no standard set that I could give you, but start looking for bigger enterprises that have API programs. Maybe they have a developer portal already. They value APIs, they have them out there and see how you contribute. It might look a little different than what you know, it looked like for you before, but it's going to allow you to leverage those skills and, and enterprises need it. So try to seek out those opportunities and see if there's a way that you can contribute in some of these organizations that, that uh, just call it a different thing, but yeah. the skills are the same. Your value is, uh, is definitely uh, needed in those organizations. Fabulous. So, fabulous. So, that's, that's, a, that's a real high note to end on. Thank you so much, James. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on the podcast section of our website, foxgig.com slash podcast. 
subscribe to the VoxGate Developer Relations Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any podcasting platform. We publish each Tuesday and Thursday. You can also access the archive of our meetup talks on the VoxGate YouTube channel or the VoxGate website. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.